Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode 1249. 1249, wow. <laughs> yeah, not 149 or 1249, but only 249th episode. Almost near the 250. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're one off. So if you can't tell, this is the loosey-goosey hostful episode. It's been a couple of months since we did the last, you know, Q&A. It's been a while. Q&A hostful. And yeah, we think, first of all, I want to thank everybody for submitting fantastic questions. I put a call out on my Instagram stories yesterday and was inundated with with fantastic questions that I hope we will get to answer all of. Yeah, all we the may not get to every them. every single one because I know uh, we sometimes do labour points, but let's do our best not to this time and try and get through them all. Okay, that was like a, a backhanded pep talk. Right. Before I uh, uh, offend Brooke anymore, let's get into it. First one's from Emily on Instagram. I live in Mumbai, India. I love this question, by the way. I love the white picture that it paints. I live in B- Mumbai, India. The city is on steroids in terms of pace. Mm. 25 million crammed into a tiny island. Crammed into or onto, probably. The energy of the traffic, rush, concrete, hustle is very draining. How do I protect my energies and thrive mm. amidst all of that? It is such a good question. And while it's not the same experience, when I spent a couple of weeks in New York uh, in April of this year, I felt much the same by the end of the two weeks. I really felt quite drained. And I don't imagine it's anything like the level of crowd and chaos and noise and stimulus of Mumbai. So... I mean, I guess the fact that you're aware of it already and you're asking the question, how do I protect my energies, is a really good sign. I mean, that it means it's already on your mind and you're probably already doing things subconsciously to do that. But I think that even small moments of slow throughout the day, even in a chaotic environment, can really help to provide that sort of space that we need to feel not quite so overwhelmed and not quite so carried along by the pace of everybody. And that can be something as simple as while you're waiting for a bus, focusing in on a tiny detail near you for 30 seconds and just spend your time looking at that detail. It may be an ant on the ground. It may be the pattern in the woman's dress who's standing in front of you. It could be the way the sun is hitting the taxi window, like whatever it is, just spend 30 seconds really embracing that one tiny detail and give the rest of yourself a rest from the constant barrage of people and noise and everything else that's going on. And I think, I mean, even if you had to schedule those things into your day by setting an alarm two or three times a day, to just remind yourself to get really intentional with your attention for 30 seconds, 
that could certainly be something you can do. I also think that seeking out spaces that make you feel like your energy is being either replenished or protected is also important. So whether there is, uh, you know, a park that you can visit or at least a green space near you that you can visit once a week. Yeah, so in Mumbai there's the Elephanta Island or the Elephanta Caves as well. So I think that's the key for me because I remember when you were in New York Mm. and was like a week in New York and you were just doing the touristy thing with your family. And then you went to Central Park and you cried. I did. So, and I think that's the release. You finally got into some green. You got into an area that you didn't have people surrounding you all the time. I think that's the key. Prioritise those um, green moments. Yeah. So go and seek the green and... Uh, and then obviously then be very intentional and meditate and stuff when you're there. But I think that should be because I would find it very hard waiting for a bus in Mumbai with millions of people and just that chaos. Like I can't even imagine what that would be like. No, neither can I. But that's the whole point of stepping out and, right, you know, yeah. stepping out of the, the chaos of the moment and stepping into one tiny detail. Like that's the whole point that it is so completely counter to where you are. You're making a choice in your day to say, actually, just for this 30 seconds, I'm going inward. And it really does make a difference. They're micro moments that over time really quite honestly add up to something significant. But, uh, you know, as we we discovered in our uh, nature, 60 minutes in nature experiment in February, March. Uh, That was in March. Uh, the effect of spending time in nature is not only immediate. I mean, people would go and spend 60 minutes in a natural setting and the flow-on benefits to their mental health and their physical health lasted for up to six weeks. Yeah. So also don't underestimate the impact that spending time semi-regularly in nature will have on your energy as well. I'd, I'd love to hear some more about how you do try and, you know, slow down in a place like Mumbai. Uh, so you know, let us know. Respond back on, on Instagram and let us know if that's something that's going to help or if there's something else that you do that works. This next question is from Emily. Brooke, you're analytical like I am. What are some tricks to get out of your head other than meditation? Right. Um, I'm guessing Emily means that I'm over-analytical. Like I, I pick things apart as well. So I wonder if that's kind of where she's coming from. But so meditation is absolutely probably my big game changer, but I couldn't get there straight away. I stopped and started with meditation a lot. And when I was at the worst of my anxiety and depression, I don't think I could have sat and meditated. Mm. I said at a book talk the other night, had you tried to make me, I feel like I would have exploded. Like my head space was very messy, very raw. So I get why meditation isn't always going to be the best option. So the two things that really helped me are uh, brain dumping. Mm -hmm. So that's an exercise that I actually wrote about in my first book, but at its core is simply getting up in the morning, opening up a notebook, picking up a pencil, putting that pencil to paper and not stopping with the words on the page until three pages were full. Just a stream of consciousness kind of brain dump, mind blurt, whatever you want to call it onto the page. And what I found that happened over, you know, the days and weeks that I would do the brain dump is that it would just create a lot of space in my head that had been taken up with 
silly concerns or big issues or, you know, tiny solutions to problems and things that I'd been carrying around with me that I didn't need to be carrying with me, but it was taking up space in my head. So by getting that out on the page, I could at least see if I needed to do something with it, with whatever the issue or concern or, you know, solution or to-do list item was. But mostly what I saw was I didn't need to do anything with it. And it just released. Yeah. So that that really is a really practical, easy, risk-free way of kind of meditating on your thoughts. But instead of letting them drift away, you actually harness them and put them on a page. Uh, and then the other thing that I did and still do is like a, a body scan. If I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm feeling too much of anything, I will just set aside a couple of minutes. You can even do it if you're in the toilet. Like if you're at work and you're feeling really overwhelmed or the kids have been a handful for that day, just sit in the toilet for a couple of minutes, close your eyes, take some slow, deep breaths and just scan through each of your senses one at a time. So what can I see? What can I smell, taste, touch and feel? And doing that gets me out of my head too. And that's the whole point. It gets me into each of my senses one at a time. And when I'm doing that, I can't be engaged with all the thoughts and the noise going on in my head. So they're two non-meditation strategies, I think, for for people who either can't meditate or who don't want to. Or, or, who... or just don't have brain, like the right environment to be exactly. able to do it. Yeah. There are other yeah. ways that you can yeah. practice mindfulness. Okay. So here's some um, quick fire qu- questions. A number of people have asked what we're eating on the road. Okay. So what that looks like. And um, apologies, there's no, I'm not putting any names to this because there's a few questions that are very similar. So first of all, what are you cooking and eating on the road, on the road trip? Uh, That's a good question. We are cooking a lot and um, preparing a lot of stuff back in our Airbnbs, aren't we? Because eating out every day really loses no, its just, novelty factor after about it's a week. expensive and it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, in places like Portland where the food was excellent, you could eat out like an absolute queen yeah. every day, but it would cost money. And cost a bomb. Yeah. Also, you know, when we're working and the kids are schooling and we're traveling and doing other things, I mean, that's not really where I want to spend majority of my time. So we knew we wouldn't be in a routine. Yes. Like this whole thing is so disruptive, so disruptive for us, disruptive for the kids. So we tried to hang on to any normalcy. Like normal structures. Normal yeah. structure as possible. So what that means is we eat pretty much what we eat when we were back at home. So yeah. albeit they're pretty simple meals, uh, yeah, the simplest, simplest meals. A lot of them not involving oven and baking, which I'll get to a question on very shortly on that. But... It's it's very easy and quick and fresh yeah. meals. What has helped us a lot is eskies, like a, a cooler, yeah. having a cooler on the road helps so much just with wastage and yeah. the amount of stuff that you, you think when you're in an Airbnb and then you're like, oh, well, we're on the road now, we're getting on a flight or whatever. And so you have to leave there or you have to throw out or give away. We don't have to do that, no. which is really, really nice. So... We're eating a lot of Mexican food, a lot of mm-hmm. fresh vegetables, a lot of vegetarian meals, I've got to say, because yeah. it's so easy and they work for everyone. And So what would yeah. a vegetarian meal look like for us? So I would uh, stir fry some tempeh in um, like soy sauce and garlic 
And then we'd have that with some veggies and some rice. And usually there's enough for leftovers for you and I for lunch the next day. Yep. The kids will sometimes, I mean, you guys will often have like a protein, you have sausages or some grilled chicken or something like that, some fish and salad. Like yep. really, now that the weather has changed, we're keeping it as simple as possible. Yeah, we are not setting the world on fire with our culinary creations, no, that's for sure. I think, I feel, I don't know about you, but we went through a period a couple of weeks ago where we were just not set up properly yet. Yeah. And my, I just felt I know. horrible. I know you did. You, when you eat a lot of bread, you feel horrible. I do. And a lot of dairy. Yeah. You feel horrible. And so, you know, just kind of shifting that back to, to fresh whole foods. Uh, one of the things that really does help as well before we move on is we're making time to seek out farmer's markets and good produce at most of the places that we're visiting. So if we can find, I mean, if we can find and we're lucky enough to be staying near a farmer's market we will go to that and just pick up the best produce that we can get that's typically local. Uh, and if that's not possible, we'll just make sure that our first stop in a new place is like a Whole Foods or a grocer and just pick up your basics. Like, mm. honestly, nothing crazy. Like, we get some form of green leafy. We get tomatoes. We get cucumbers and carrots and corn and, you know, broccoli. And that's kind of it. Like, we so use let's that just go base. really quickly go through, like, Yesterday, what did we eat? We ate granola. For breakfast and fruit. Uh, yeah. Fruit, blueberries, bananas. The berries have been so good. And then for lunch, snacky lunch, we didn't really snack. We don't snack at all, really. Um, for lunch, we had, well, I had cottage cheese and tomato. I just had leftover toast. Mexican beans and salsa and salad. And then for dinner. Was... Tacos. Tacos, yeah. Like veggie tacos. Yeah, with a bean mix that you made. Yeah. Which is delicious. Thanks. So that that's as simple as it gets. I mean, it's, again, not super interesting, but it's doing the job, thankfully. Okay, my mouth's watering at this question. If you could eat any kind of oven food <laughs> for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, Emmy on Instagram. Emmy, I, I get you. I get you. Oven food. <laughs> Oven food is okay, the best. Food. Okay, can you explain to me what you what oven food well, it's is? Well, like it's baking, like it's it's baking food, not cooking in a fry pan. Okay, so it's normally like you know, like baking slower foods. Okay, <laughs> I can't. This is so hard. But what I am absolutely craving at the moment is lamb. So a lamb roast would set my world on fire. Lamb is prohibitively expensive at the moment in America, not like at home where it's almost like the cheapest meat you can get. But I, for some reason, I'm really craving some nice lamb chops. You can roll your eyes as much as you want. I'm not rolling my eyes. Okay, well, you can look like that <laughs> as much as you want. That's just my face, Ben, but thank you. Uh, okay, so I, I'm really struggling with this question. You don't, you don't bake much at all. No. Yeah. I don't. Like, yeah. I know, it's such a, a lame response but i really don't usually if i do anything it's kind of stir fried what do i like that is cooked okay i like roast veggies i love a good like roast sweet potato roast beetroot roasted mm. like onions and through some quinoa and, yeah a yeah. bit of goats beautiful yeah that's a fun question though. it is a fun question so another travel related question again no there's no name for this one but how are the kids going? How's homeschool going? What are they loving? What are they hating about traveling? I think the kids have been phenomenal. 
We're asking a lot of a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old in terms of adaptability and flexibility and, you know, understanding concepts that they wouldn't have necessarily had to understand at home. And they've been amazing, truly. You know, there are days, don't get me wrong, where we really agitate each other because one of the things that, I mean, it makes perfect sense when you say it, but the reality of it has taken some getting used to is that it is the four of us all the time. You know, we are everything to each other, teacher and travel companion and playmates and, you know, and and parents and kids. Like it's it's intense. It's really intense. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm learning so much about them as individuals and how they see the world and, you know, their strengths and the things that they're frustrated about themselves. And I, I feel like that's such a privilege to get to see them in that capacity. Absolutely. Do you think that they're handling it well? They are. You know, it's hard to provide comment on this when you're living it day to day. It's really hard. So I, I said to Brooke yesterday, it's going to be magnificent when we can look back at this trip and yeah. see how far the kids have come because I, I already can tell that they have. I feel like their resilience is building all the time. I will say that they've probably had the most epic breakdowns that they've ever had on mm-hmm. this trip because their emotions are bigger, huge. Yeah. You know, it's so disruptive for their little bodies yeah. and their minds to get around, particularly when they do, do not know where we'll be next week. Yeah. We don't, they don't know what it looks like. They have no idea. So they really are living day to day. And, you know, I feel, I mean, you struggled yesterday with a few things that our son said about, you know, playing with him and how busy everyone is and which was was really hard for you. Yeah, I really struggled with that. Uh, That, I mean, look, honestly, I felt I've spent a significant chunk of this trip feeling guilty for different reasons. You know, guilty that we're able to do it, do this kind of trip. Guilty for taking the kids away from home, you know, from the only home that they've known. Guilty for taking them away from family, grandparents, cousins, and friends. You know, I I have. I really have struggled with that. And every time I mention it, I get beautiful emails of support from people saying, don't feel guilty your kids will look back and be so grateful. And I don't doubt that. I mean, some days I do doubt that, but, and I appreciate people doing that. It's just, I don't know. I think it's partly kind of being aware of how fortunate we are and, and partly the habit of feeling guilty about things, but it has been on the whole really quite phenomenal. And I think in terms of school, Term one was harder in terms of getting the kids to understand that when we're doing school, our role is different, Mm -hmm. you know, and for them sort of pushing, they pushed back a lot in term one. I feel like term two was less of that. Yeah, the the hardest moments come at the school desk, at school time. So there's been occasions where I've sat down with my daughter or son and they just have not been engaged, which is going to happen all the time. Happens at school. They just have not been there. They're not there to learn. They don't want to, they might have had a bad sleep or something, you know, Mm -hmm. a million things. And within 10 minutes, 
we've had like an epic tantrum slash breakdown and both of it, both parties are feeling really lousy because mm. of it. So the, school has been, and I, I must admit in the first term it happened more, I think they're getting, they understand now that if they get into the, and, and work hard, their days are, are better because well, yeah. they've got more free time. Which then leads to the other issue. I think they've been craving independence and not that they've been hating it, but we're so protective of them at the moment. And I feel like, you know, they're just craving wanting to go and do something on their own. So, for example, you go to a park and I'll be like, can I go over to that park by myself? And sometimes, you know, you you want them to, but you, you've never seen, you've never been to that park. You don't know what it's like. Do you know what I mean? So it's that, that's been difficult. And I think that's something that they're wanting more and more. Yeah, I take kind of, I take quite a bit of solace in seeing that, that independence develop in both of them, actually, because I think that it's great. I mean, they, they desire boundaries and they, I think kids typically operate really well within well-defined boundaries, but the fact that they're pushing for an extension of that or pushing for us to they see them are. as, yeah. you know, older kids or more responsible. And I, I think that that's fantastic. And we both have definitely made the conscious decision to give them a little more space to safely explore. I've struggled with that. I feel like yeah, you have. I, I um, really have. Only because I'm not, sometimes I'm not comfortable with the space because I'm so unfamiliar with it. Sure. Uh, you know, if I knew the space, I'd be a little bit more lenient in terms of that barrier or that boundary. But, yeah, I, I, I've struggled with that. Uh, I've acknowledged that to you. So, yeah, it's just something that hopefully I'll work, work through. Uh, you know, the the threat of taking away some sort of independent activity is is quite big at the moment, especially with our eldest who I think is really wanting that big time. Anyway, that's uh, that's the kids. All in all, they're wonderful little beings. Yeah, but I don't I don't ever want to um, present things as if it's all perfect and rosy and and easy and straightforward because it's definitely not. You know, so that's why I think it's important to talk through the things that they find difficult and we find difficult. All right, so continuing on the theme of travel, what advice would you give a couple who wants to travel but has a very, very small budget via Erin on IG? Uh, that is a really good question because I absolutely think that travel is worth uh, worth sacrificing other things for. Well, that's what we've done. Yeah. That's our biggest priority Was is travel. Was travel, is travel, and we make a huge amount of sacrifices to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe let go of your expectations of what you think travel needs to look like. If you're tying travel as an idea or an experience to, you know, a particular vision of travel, like in order to travel and like feel like you're doing it well. What do you mean? Do, do you like, are you saying to yourself that you must travel overseas in order to travel? So is travel getting on a plane? That's right. So yeah. so try and break down what you think travel looks like to you because if budget is a concern, then that might be the reason you're feeling like it's never going to happen. So maybe reconsider what that looks like. Could you potentially road trip around the country you live in in your car with some borrowed camping equipment for a number of weeks and still get that experience of travel, of exploring new places and seeing new things and meeting new people? It doesn't necessarily have to be an epic trip. 
But if you do really want to make it an international trip, then look at ways, again, of making it as affordable as possible. So, I mean, when we backpacked, I can't believe the amount of money we got around the world on when we traveled back when we were 22. It's just crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it wasn't even $10,000, I don't think, that we had between, I mean, between the two of us probably, but we spent our I can't remember what it was, but, yeah, it it blows my mind what we we did. So we... We were so cheap with our accommodation and things that we did. You know, we would stay in the cheapest hostels. We would stay in dorm rooms of like 40 people because to us the price of sleeping with 40 other strangers was worth it for the extra four months we got on the road. You know, we could have stayed in hotels, we could have stayed in private rooms, but that would have effectively cut our our trip in half. So, I mean, look at... Again, what your expectations are in terms of your travel and what you might be able to do to bring that cost down. Yeah, and the destination. I remember when we were traveling early on and we were in, I remember, we were in Berlin and, yeah, we were staying in a hostel. You know, we've been in Europe for probably four or five weeks. We looked at our bank accounts and just went, oh, wow. We can stay here for another couple of weeks. In Europe. Yeah, in Europe. Or we could go to Asia and stay for three months. Yeah, and we did on the same amount of money. So again, look at the destination and look at the prices and look. So, yeah, uh, it's just a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I quite like your point about what what is travel. Yeah. When does a trip become? And I know you often have spoken about even this even a weekend away is enough sometimes. Yeah, but I, I think it's the time spent. Uh, a way that really helps for me you mean like the cumulative yeah like like a week is not enough for me to to feel utterly relaxed and I don't think we've well we've made some pretty big decisions over like weekend trips as well but yeah the the, the act of getting away is really really important Mm -hmm. but it sounds like um Erin you want to travel to different areas by your question and move around and again just look at the prices of your destination, I really look at price of living, the day-to-day costs of food and accommodation because that's that's where it really adds up. There may also be, depending on, you know, your destination, some kind of opportunity to volunteer over there as well or to, you know, teach English for a few months or, you know, help to build houses you know I don't, I, I'm not entirely sure of where you would like to go but that could also be an option to look at extending your time away by spending some of that time because you get accommodation that. for free sometimes when yeah I mean look yeah. they're all different but yeah. that could also be a way of, of giving some more depth to your travel plans as well yeah all right here's a fun question Bonnie Ray on Instagram how did you two meet <laughs> uh, we met when we were 11 years old yes which sounds ridiculous. Uh, ben was the school captain of the local Catholic school, uh, so in year six. I was the school captain of the local public school, and we like, our schools were literally across the road from each other. And there was, you know, some kind of inter-school peace day celebrations or something at my school. And as the school captain of the local Catholic school, Ben came and spoke at this event, and I also spoke. And my mum took a photo of Ben and I standing next to each other yeah. at 11 years old. And, and then we didn't see each other for... like two feet 
taller than me. I was quite a bit taller. Quite funny. Yes. Uh, and then we didn't see each other again until we were at uni. Yeah, so we really met at, met at uni. We were doing the same degree. Our families have known one another since we've been very young. Yes. So I always always knew of you, but, yeah, we sort of really met at university. And, yeah, I remember. I saw you on the first day of uni. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. who's that? Who's that with the the peroxided hair? Yeah, you had like a really big, bushy, surfy, peroxided. Afro. Yeah, you kind of did. Uh, and an eyebrow not, piercing. Not digging that photo up, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it got my attention. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I think it took us all year to kind of work up the courage to even talk to each other. Yeah. And, and we did. And we ended up uh, at a party and we spoke for like the whole night, to, and we were so, invo- you know, just engrossed in each other's company that we didn't realise we were sitting on an ant mound. Do you remember that? Yeah. And you had like ant bites all over oh, you. And I'm allergic to ants. And But you just sat there like a trooper just, you know, <laughs> talking. Just talking. So, yeah, and that was it. And that was kind of the end of the year 2000. Mm. I think I called you the next day and invited you to my sister's housewarming party and, and that the rest is history. Yeah, exactly. I gave you the wrong mobile number, as we mentioned in the episode a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. How, yeah, that's how we met. Okay, the next one's from Lauren on Instagram. What has been the hardest bit of waste for you both to eliminate, whether that's physical, plastic, food, time, or energy wasting of any type kind? That is a really good question. Great, great question because it makes you think, doesn't it? I really I really struggle with plastic and that's not going to be new to a lot of people that have listened for a while. But I've really struggled with being mindful of, of plastic and that's just been hard. The convenience factor is really, really hard, particularly when we're on the road. So I'm going to say plastic waste is the hardest. We are absolutely- to the point where my daughter now, more than me, says... If she orders, if we have a drink at a um, restaurant or cafe or something, she's like, no straw. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Like, well done, Brooke. It's something that I don't even, anyway, I just really need to tap into that. Single-use plastics are just so bad. And so that's been really challenging for me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we've definitely been making compromises and necessarily so on the road. Uh, in terms of when we go shopping and stuff. And it's been actually been a really helpful uh, sort of experience and experiment in seeing what the reality is like for a lot of people. I mean, so as we talk about going zero waste or cutting out single-use plastics, we have this, this roster of tips and tools and strategies for people to follow. And as you travel to areas where maybe you have one supermarket and what's on the shelves is what you've got to play with, the like the conventional wisdom of shopping bulk and plastic free just doesn't apply. So I, it has been really helpful, I think, to, to see that and to start thinking about more creative ways that we can start to cut down on plastic waste, not only for us, but for people who for whom the, the conventional wisdom just doesn't apply. Yeah. I have really struggled with that. Yeah. And we found our groove, I think. It was fine in, in Canada because we were in the one place yeah, and exactly. they had like when a bulk you, food And when store you're traveling and, like almost every day, yeah, it's it's twice as hard. 
Like it, it really is. So when we can, if we're in a big city and there's a Whole Foods or a bulk food store, we'll go, we'll get what we can and we'll do our best with that. But there is going to be times where you need bread and there's no like loose, you know, loose sourdough loaves at this supermarket. You just need to buy bread and it comes in plastic or the kids are starving and we didn't pack enough snacks. Then you go and get a cliff bar. Like it's, know, it's just about balancing our actual abilities and our actual time and our actual energy with our ideals of all of those and particularly at the moment. Well, I, th- I feel like we need to give ourselves a break too because if we are in a situation where we're at like an Airbnb for a while, we should go out of our way. We do. We do. But, and, and then some. so travelling, sometimes you need that. Listen to us try and justify all this. It's so funny. No, but it's... Yeah. I found it really difficult. I really have. And I really do, uh, A, admire people who are able to make it work better than we have, uh, but also really do feel for people who are sitting at home doing their best and feeling like it's not good enough. I know. And we've had that feeling. Yeah. And I have struggled with it immensely. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's about letting go of the ideals and actually doing our best and feeling like that's enough. Yeah. This next question is from Nicole. What's something you're learning about now or would like to learn more about in the future? Love this question. It's a really good question. I've been reading a lot about the really complicated relationship between feminism and ethical living and ethical shopping and uh, ethical eating. Because, And I've come to this realisation myself because, you know... The ethics of certain clothes, for example, or certain foods have been called into question over the last few years and people are like lauding plant-based as the most ethical option, for example, or slow fashion as the most ethical option. And to really kind of dig deeper in a quite an uncomfortable way and look at how feminism as what I thought it was, which was equality, for everybody and feminism like the current sub brand are quite different you know i'm, I'm gonna do a terrible job of explaining this well, I, i'm i'm feeling it though I, I get what you mean like how equal is it to support uh one woman's wonderful company doing great work when it's built off the back of people who aren't being paid a fair and living wage you know like there's depth, different depths and different layers and levels to what it actually means to advocate for equality and starting anywhere is great. But I think it's one of those things where the more you learn about how messed up so many of the systems are that we rely on in the world, it's like we've got a lot of work to do. You, I mean, you'd produced that podcast, um, Who Made My Clothes? Yeah. Back in early 2017? Yes, it was for yeah, fashion revolution. For fashion revolution. And that really, like that was your jam. Do you remember like you were into fashion, the fashion industry, like straight yeah. out of uni? Yeah. You were like almost going to pursue a career. I mean, you did jewellery. I mean, it was sort of, yeah, that's the fashion industry, I guess. Yeah. But you were really tapped into that. I was. Big time. I spent a lot of time and money trying to emulate, you mm. know, the appearance of someone who had it all together, I guess. Yeah. And for me, that included buying all the magazines and, you know, spending all of my money on all of the clothes. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's something I have been reading a lot about and it's I'm coming up with more questions and answers 
Uh, but one of the people which is fine to do at this stage. Totally, yeah. that's what learning is, I mm. think. Uh, but I've been reading a lot of the work that uh, Rachel Cargill puts out. She's on Instagram and Twitter, uh, and she has a a really fantastic resource on her website, which is like a thirty day challenge of facing up to the realities of feminism and what we can do to continue to improve it. Uh, and yeah, it's it's just been really interesting to me, I think, to to recognize that my very simple understanding of feminism, which was simply equality, is uh, a lot more complex and troubling than that, mm. I think. Mm. It's a serious answer, sorry. No, that's <laughs> fine. For me, it's about sustainable design. I really want to get into that and learn more about sustainability in terms of designing like a house mm. and horticulture as well. Like I want to really bone up on my understanding on that because mm. I feel like when we we do get back to Australia eventually, if we do, <laughs> we will be we'll probably build and we'll probably create a space, or we'll be I don't know creating some something. And I feel like I'll just need we'll both need to be very aware of sustainable design and and all the rest of it. So that's something I really want to learn more about. Mm. And like something's really simple and something that I really looked and wanted to do during our creativity month was playing guitar. I really miss that. Yeah. I really, really miss that. Some, I remember it last year in 2017, those crazy, crazy months towards the end of the year, but I really wanted to, to play guitar. It's my way of I know I'm relaxed when I'm playing guitar. When I look and pick up the guitar, I know that I'm fully relaxed and I think you've commented on that before as well all right this is the last question for the hostful today it's from Meredith and she asked what do you use to meditate Brooke I use and have done for quite a long time insight timer it's great it's free it's as simple as you want it now I meditate in silence so I have like a timer preset set up and it's for 12 minutes I give myself 30 seconds of like warm up so I get situated I sit quietly I get comfortable and then the first bell or chime sounds and I've set up chimes to sound every couple of minutes because I feel like that helps to keep me present and focused on what I'm doing rather than giving into the thoughts and stuff that are flitting around my head and that goes for 12 minutes and I just sit quietly wherever I am, usually on the lounge or on the floor. And that's it. Like you can log it if you would like. You can keep track. You can yeah, have friends that you can tap into and see stuff. what they're doing and all the rest of it. Yeah. Insight has recently updated and it is now offering some fantastic free guided meditations. I mean, there's thousands of them and they have been for a long time and they're all free. But what they also offer now are some really reasonably priced um, meditation courses. So there was one goes for 10 days with Kate James, who's an Australian meditation practitioner. And it's $7.99, wow. I think, you know, to learn from one of the best people in terms of like very specific parts of meditation or, or using meditation to help with very specific issues or problems. Uh, and it, it's fantastic. So I know there's a million different meditation apps that you can use, but that is the one that, that I use and I love it. Question without notice. Well, they've all been without notice, but <laughs> and this doesn't matter, 
but for, for whatever reason, I've just thought of it. What's the longest you've ever meditated for? Oh, probably like half an hour. Wow. Yeah. I worked out, there was a time probably three years ago when I, I was really attached to the idea of being the best meditator, you know. Like yeah, that, that, yeah like, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was fantastic because Yogi I really Brooke. did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really did carve out that space for myself but what I realized was that my reasons for doing it were very much egocentric rather than based in any kind of need to help myself so I dialed it way back but yeah it was probably 30 minutes of sitting in silence what about you two minutes <laughs> <laughs> meditation expert uh yeah two minutes I'm not uh I did I love that insight timer the one the meditations that help you sleep yeah. I really dig those. And I lasted, yeah, probably about two minutes was the longest one till I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for everyone's questions. Show notes will be at slowyourhome.com slash 249. Have yourselves a terrific week. Goodbye. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.